Welcome to the PR Moment Weber Shandwick Chai Talk at 5pm podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Hello, Ray. We're really pleased to welcome you to the Chai Talk uh, platform and podcast at 5pm as it's called. It's driven by Weber Shandwick India, Solving with Purpose is their line. Uh, my first question, Ray, is that uh, technology can no longer be considered a vertical. In some ways, all companies are technology companies. What does that mean for technology communication? Well, first of all, I really appreciate being included in the uh, podcast series. And one of my favorite things to do in life is to spend time with communicators to talk about our profession, how to make our profession stronger, and then the future of our profession. So thank you for inviting me on. And I think you kind of spelled it out. All companies are becoming tech companies today. And as a result, there's a convergence of what it means to be a tech company. But as I step back as a communicator, what that means to us is I think the biggest learning or the biggest observation I have is that it affects the way people consume information. So for me, it's less about whether X company or Y company is a tech company, but it's about the profound changes in the way people consume information today and what that means to us as communicators in this great profession that we, we live in. Any specific uh, thing you would flag off that uh, tech communicators should remember considering how it is being defined today? Yeah, so it kind of goes into my passion around being future-focused. And because... All companies are now tech companies. The pace of change, the pace of the way people communicate, the pace of change within communications has changed exponentially. So for us as communicators, us as CCOs and us in the profession, it means that we have to spend far more of our t- far more, much more of our time on the future than just worrying about this today, this week, this quarter, or even this year. I like to say if I'm doing my job right, I will spend 90% of my time on the future. And that's a result of technology. Technology is changing us as communicators just as it's changing our professions and our companies. Uh, Traditionally, uh, communicators tend to be very focused on the immediate and now. You know, you have to get that story out. You have to handle that crisis. How do you inculcate this future uh, future focus and zoom out from what's happening today? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's always instructive for us to talk to our teams about how much of our time are we spending on today and how much of our time are we spending on the future? So when I arrived at IBM, number one, a fantastic team at IBM, a very large team, but I had, I've worked with a lot of teams in my career, but I've never had the experience or the honor to lead such a talented, dedicated, passionate team and a candid team. So when I arrived at IBM, I told the team that at the end of my day, every day in my working life, I look at how I spent my day on a spectrum. And at the left side of it is firefighting, in the middle is managing, and on the right is being transformative. And so I asked the team, I said, if if you had to gauge how you spend each day in communications here at IBM, where would you plot yourself? And what would the percentage be? And I heard percentages upwards of 90% on firefighting. And you can do firefighting for a time, But what it does, if that's where you spend the majority of your time, number one, you exhaust your team. You wear out your team. But number two, if all you do is spend your time on firefighting, you become uncompetitive because you're not keeping pace 
with the warp speed pace that the world is changing around us. So that's why I'm passionate about in every organization. And as I speak to people in our profession, I always ask the question, how much of your time do you spend on firefighting being future focused? And if you're spending more, most of your time on firefighting, it might be a wake-up call that you need to move to the other side of the spectrum. But despite that future focus, I like to boil down what we do as communicators to two simple things. We create stories and we tell them in that order. And I'm a real student of storytelling through time. I love to, to study ancient history and the art of storytelling. And since cave days, the art of storytelling really hasn't changed. We as human beings have used stories to survive, to socialize, to improve life, to, and then to pass down our culture to generation after generation. So we've really honed this art of storytelling. What has changed and what's been very dynamic is how we tell stories. So I think the other real learning for me is, and the advice I always give to others is, our first job is to be storytellers. And we should never lose that art. And sometimes when I go speak at schools or I speak uh, with agencies and people come in and they're pitching me, I hear so much excitement about how we tell our story, digital this and social that and visual X, Y, and Z. I sometimes wonder if we need to spend even more time asking the basic question, what's our story? And do we have we honed that art of storytelling? Because that's what's going to stand the test of time. So both are important, but we have to be storytellers first. And then the if you if you crack that, the rest comes pretty easily. So storytelling is so central to being human, you know, from chipping away at, at a rock face and now using advanced data, uh, which brings me to data. Data is a very important part of how you use insights to tell stories. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, you know, hyper-focusing of stories? How are you using data for storytelling? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we created very early on at IBM is what I call the Content Hub. And it is our in-house content creation team within IBM. And they have three roles. Part of the team is embedded in the business, and they go out and they hunt for stories within the business. They're in the research labs. They're dealing with the AI developers. They're dealing in the quantum labs. They're dealing with clients. And they're constantly looking for the stories that are to be told about our company. So that's part of our team. Another part of our team is the asset creators. And they, they take those stories and they create the visuals and the videos and the blogs and everything we need to tell that story and distribute it. And then the third part of the team are our data and analytics uh, operation. And one of the things I really love to do is to take field trips, particularly as you're creating content. I love to go spend time with startup content creators. And I did that when I first arrived at IBM. I took a whole group of us who were involved in the development of the content hub at IBM. And we went and met with some startups who were experts at visual storytelling. And we spent a whole day together and they walked me through what are the lessons learned about just strong videos? They they taught me that you have three seconds to do or die when you're doing visual storytelling. And if you don't crack that, you won't crack anything. They taught me the importance of 80% of videos today are consumed without audio. And that if you really want to have engagement and have things pop, 
you have to use subtitles. Don't worry about the audio, just have subtitles. So we went through this day of just fantastic learning. And then I asked the CEO of the startup, I said, walk me through how you've allocated your resources. And you know, just give me your percentages. And he said, oh, that's easy. We have 25% of our team are writers, 25% of our team are producers, and 50% are data and analytics people. And he said to me, isn't that how IBM is organized? And I said, well, not, not, not exactly. I said, but let me ask, why have you gone so heavily on data and analytics? And what he explained to me is, you can't win this battle on content if you don't use data and analytics. Meaning, we have moved from a world of mass communications to micro communications. And I would suggest on the comm side that the marketing organization is five to 10 years ahead of us via CSR or other very targeted extreme personalization. That's our opportunity in comms now is to move into micro communications. But to do that, you have to have data and analytics. And for us at IBM, that meant putting in place just the plumbing. We had to start and put in a foundation of data and analytics, and then we're building from there. So data and analytics is absolutely huge. And again, I, I think sometimes we in communications fear using data analytics because we fear that it's going to be used against us. It's going to be used to shrink our budgets or to reduce members of our team, or it's going to be a report card. That's not how I use data analytics at all. I use data analytics to help us constantly get better, constantly find a way to connect better with our intended audiences. So I'm a, I'm a real big fan. And I think we as a profession have a lot more work to do to get more sophisticated and more expert at it. Yeah, it is the world of uh, video and using data for hyper, hyper communication. Um, you know, in one of your interviews, you've spoken about how you ask pitching agencies whether they're willing to partner or work with uh, agencies which are outside the holding company. Uh, why do you ask that? And, and do you think it's important to be able to do so? Absolutely. I, I'm a massive fan of what I call the blended communications team. And the blended communications team means that you organize your team, you create your team based on need not based on silos, not based on an organizational chart, not based on one agency, company, or another. And I always use the term agency partner. And I, I found different organizations through time that use agencies as arms and legs or fulfillment. I've never viewed my agency team that way. They've always been partners, and they partner every step of the way from strategy to execution, to engagement. And my dream is that, or my not just my dream, but my expectation is that when you bring a group of people together, when people work together, powerful things can happen. But they have to work together. And you can't worry about, from an agency side, whose P&L is it benefiting? Or from an in-house side, oh, I don't want to be threatened by that agency because they might take my job. No. When we brought in the blended team within IBM, we looked at, here's what we did well today. Here was the plan we were putting together. Here were some gaps we saw. And here's where we saw the world headed in the future. And then we all got together and we said, okay, who's best to attack it? And my dream is when I'm sitting in a meeting of the IBM communications team or any communications team, is that I no longer think about, okay, that person's in-house or that person's at X agency, that person's at Y agency. No, we're all just one big team. 
and one big team that has the absolutely the same common vision of world-class communications. Running into the last part of uh, the podcast. So, uh, you know, the stakeholder and shareholder um, uh, conversation is, is heightening at a very fast pace. People are talking about the triple bottom line uh, effect and impact. Uh, so uh, how do you really satisfy both this, the shareholder and the activist uh, stake, uh, sorry, stakeholder? <laughs> We're hearing the debate, and we're hearing the debate more recently because businesses are talking about it. In the Business Roundtable organization in the U.S., just 185 companies just signed on to new principles that said it's an and equation. It has never really been an or. It's never been shareholders or other stakeholders. Successful businesses have always been about blending those two. Of course, a business has to produce profits. If you don't produce profits, you can't do anything else. You can't have employees. You can't serve the community. You can't grow. So for us, certainly at IBM, but my passionate view throughout my career has been that if you're in communications, one of your primary roles is to steward reputation. And reputation has always, for me, been about serving all stakeholders, from your employees to your customers, to your policymakers, to everyone else associated with the company. That's the only way that it, I know how to work. And that's the way you build trust. And that's really your license to operate. So I don't think it's ever been an or equation. I think people are finally talking about it and putting it on paper. But successful businesses and successful communicators serve shareholders and all stakeholders. Uh, how do you think uh, the CCO of the future would look like? Would public affairs, public advocacy mean integral part of that role, considering that uh, technology breakthroughs have meant that uh, breakthroughs are far outstripping current policy? Sure. So I think there's two key attributes of the CCO of the future. One hasn't changed. One is to be a business partner. I always say that our first role, whether we're a CCO or whether we're in top leadership and communications, our first role has always been to be a business partner. We're at the table being a business partner. We have to be educated. We have to be knowledgeable. We support the business first and foremost. Communications comes second, and that's part of supporting the business. So our first role is business acumen and to be a very strong business partner. I think what's changed the second attribute of the CCO of the future is to be a bit of a futurist. Yeah, I would suggest that communications is now changing and will continue to change exponentially every three to five years. So it, that's a big change from you know, 10, 20 years ago where there was a constant, there was a sameness about it. If our world is going to change every three to five years, we are going to need to reinvent ourselves. We're going to need to reskill ourselves and we're going to need to be flexible and adaptable to allow that to happen. And I think one of our greatest skills will be the propensity to learn going forward. So business partner, futurist, underpinning it all is constant learning. Considering the kind of timelines you're saying we need to upskill ourselves, um, what's your dream Disney holiday? <laughs> My dream Disney holiday. You asked because uh, we talked uh, before we started recording that I'm a, a very biz um, I'm a big, big Disney fan. As hard I pour myself a thousand percent into my role, and we all do. All of us in communications, I've always said this isn't a job, this is a lifestyle. It's 24-7, you're always on, and we love it. 
But what I also like to do is I love to pour myself into my family. And so a couple times a year, I take myself out of the hubbub of my crazy business world and out of the hub of communications. And I do something usually Disney related with my family, be it uh, visit a park, uh, do a cruise. And why I love that is it allows me to not just be halfway in with my family. I don't do halfway with anything. It allows me to really escape the, re the real world, my business world, and really pour myself in to enjoying my family. And Disney stands for clean family fun. And that's what I enjoy doing with my family. So that's why I'm a big Disney fan. Thank you, Ray. That was Ray Day on the very first Chai Talk at 5 p.m. podcast, part by Weber Shanwick. Thank you, Ray, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment Weber Shanwick Chai Talk at 5 p.m. podcast, brought to you in association with the Marketeers Network. If you've liked the show, please subscribe and give us a decent rating.